Welcome to Two Messianic Jews. In this episode, we're going to play the recording of a presentation we gave earlier this semester for the Young Messianic Jewish Alliance. We briefly explain how our faith not only survived, but thrived in college. And I want to say that in our brief summaries of long conversations we had with people, they're not meant to represent full-scale responses to questions and objections. And some of the ways we answered then are not necessarily how we would answer them today. But we hope you find encouragement in hearing how our faith was strengthened during college and give you some context for why we do what we do for all of you on Two Messianic Jews. Enjoy. Uh, I grew up in the Messianic movement and... Uh... And my connection to this subject and Jonathan and Eric was that uh, I grew up in a Messianic family. My parents were believers, my siblings, but the rest of my extended family wasn't. And before I went off to college, uh, my grandfather, who was from India, sat me down and he said, religion just ruins things. Religion holds people back. And when you leave for college, you'll lose your faith in this stupid religious stuff and, uh, and you'll move past it. Uh, but when I went to college, uh, that's kind of around the time that I learned a lot about uh, apologetics and the reasons for our faith from Jonathan and Eric. And so uh, a large part of what I think helped me grow in my faith in college rather than lose my faith was Jonathan and Eric. And so I am super excited to have them with us tonight. And they'll give a little bit of their background uh, as they introduce themselves. But before they do that and kind of tell you about kind of their academic background, I'll let you know a little bit about them personally. Uh, Jonathan has a background in Taekwondo and Jiu-Jitsu and wrestling. And Eric, uh, he comes from baseball. He played first baseman. And so uh, they got a, a strong athletic background. And now I'm glad that we've got them as heavy hitters in Messianic apologetics. So I'll pray and then we'll get started. God, we thank you that you don't ask us to have blind faith, but that you are a trustworthy God and that you have shown yourself faithful and you give us reasons to trust in you. So God, we just ask that you would open our eyes, open our minds, and do what you want in this time. In Yeshua's name, amen. I want to start the story basically going back to high school. Um, in high school, or really, I guess going back into middle school, I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of um, doubts that would come into my come into my mind, and conversations I would have with people who um, really, I think, posed good objections. Looking back on it now, but at the time, I really put those on the back burner. But in when I was a junior in high school, I went to an apologetics conference in North Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's their the annual apologetics conference that goes on there, put on by SES. And this was really like the first time I got a uh, big exposure to what this thing apologetics is. And for those of you who don't know, apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to make a defense. It's a legal term. So we read in 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is within you. So what this is, it's giving a defense. It's giving reasons for why we believe what we believe is true, giving evidences for our faith. And I was able to hear the testimony of a former Muslim named Nabil Qureshi. And this was the second talk at the conference. And really, he had me at the edge of my seat the entire time because I was blown away by just the fact that a Muslim could be convinced of the evidence from the New Testament that Yeshua is the Messiah, that he's God, that he rose from the dead, and that as a result, he left Islam. 
And uh, when he was a Muslim, he would give objections to Christians and those Christians couldn't answer his objections. But through the process of a friend of his uh, named David Wood, um, the, the apologetics was really able to be seen. The benefit it was, of it was able to be seen. And I saw that. Um, throughout the conference, there was a number of different presentations and talks. And the one I remember most was hearing from Dr. Gary Habermas, uh, the world's leading expert on the evidence for Yeshua's resurrection. And that really impacted me a lot. Um, and after that conference, I had just this just fire to, to study apologetics because I, I, I figured out uh, that I don't need to put my questions and the objections I was hearing or I, I told myself or I heard from others on the back burner because there actually are really good reasons to believe what we believe is true. I could actually look into this with um, look, looking at it and pursuing truth. I don't need to be afraid of the truth. And uh, through the process, just starting as a junior in high school, I just got into apologetics and wanted to, to dig further. It's a really good thing that Jonathan did because by the time that I get to the end of high school, well, so I guess first, after my B'nai Mitzvah, I was like, okay, great. I'm done. I graduated from this religion thing. Um, I can go do whatever I want and whatever I wanted that meant playing baseball. And so that's pretty much what I did. Uh, on the weekends instead of going to synagogue. So during that time, so in my high school years, like freshman up to junior year, I was what I would, I would describe myself as an apatheist. So not an atheist, but I was apathetic. Like I just didn't really care whether God existed or not. I didn't really think about it too much. I was having just a really tough time figuring out who I was, what I was about, how I should relate uh, to other people. And during this time, so this is the end of my sophomore year, my parents, they, they make me go to uh, a testimony sharing thing that uh, the teen group would do. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll go. And so I, I show up to this thing and her testimony really spoke to me. Her whole testimony really related a lot to the things that I was going through as far as not knowing who I was and not knowing, um, not being confident in my identity. Really, I was just like a really like socially awkward person. I was like, I couldn't talk to anybody. I was really shy. And I just put like way too much of my identity and in, in other things that, that I shouldn't have been doing. And so hearing her testimony really spoke to me on a spiritual level. And, but at that same uh, night of presentations, I hear Jonathan give a uh, not so much a testimony, but essentially a PowerPoint presentation on the evidence for the resurrection of Yeshua. And I remember listening to this thing and just being like, what the heck? I've never heard people talk about the Bible in this way, looking at it as like a historical investigation and building like an evidential case for the resurrection. And like after that night, you know, immediately thereafter, I didn't really think about it too much, but like that was really stuck in my head that the evidence, like there's evidence out there. People talk about this stuff. A couple months later, uh, actually about a year later, I finally come to faith. I accept Yeshua as my Lord and Savior. And, but very soon after, so that was in September of 2013. And, um, but very soon after that, I had a lot of intellectual doubts. I was like, you know, wait, I've never really thought about it, like, does God actually exist? I started thinking about, again, like, did Yeshua really rise from the dead? How can I really know? How can I really put my, my faith in these things? And I even, like, watched some debates on YouTube and 
I thought the atheists like won this debate. And so I was like really struggling. But then I remembered Jonathan's presentation and I was like, wait, there's like evidence for this stuff out there apparently. And so I went on YouTube and I like Googled evidence for God's existence and evidence for the resurrection. And I came across videos by Frank Turek, by Wayne Lane Craig, and uh, the case for the creator I read by, by Lee Strobel. You know, reading that stuff really firmed my faith up as regarding the existence of God and the resurrection of Yeshua. I then had some doubts about whether like the Messianic Jewish lifestyle is, is the way that God uh, wants Jewish believers to live. But then I found the work of uh, like David Stern and I came across Acts 21. Everybody read Acts 21 if you haven't. And of course, the work of Michael Brown really helped establish the, the Jewishness of, of the New Testament and stuff like that. So because Jonathan experienced what he experienced at the apologetics conference, it eventually made a huge impact on me and brought us together in this journey that, that we've been on. Yeah. Yeah. I remember back when I think we were waiting outside and um, we were just talking about Frank Turek's argument and then that's uh, really got to connect there. But I remember um, my senior year actually, so I graduated high school and it's 2012, sorry, I'm 2014. And I'm at this conference and at the conference um, I, I was actually speaking on uh, the evidence for the resurrection that I was studying for that year. And I was just, I wanted to present it and I was, I was asked to do so. So um, it was, it was a really cool opportunity. Eric was in the session with me uh, in the audience uh, listening. And um, it was, it was cool. I got to present on the evidence for the resurrection, but later in the evening, um, I was, I was actually going there. I was, I was hearing someone speak and um, I just, I really wanted to get prayer for um, a chronic illness that I have called ulcerative colitis. I've talked to a person and I asked, you know, can you, can you pray for me? Um, I really, I really want to perceive um, healing from God, physical healing um, for my, my chronic condition. And it was, because uh, I struggled with that for, for 12 years up to that point. And when I was in that situation, I, w- I received prayer and the person who was praying for me told me that I have been healed. So my, my illness is gone. God delivered me from this, from this, from this disease. And I was free. And it, I was just overcome with joy. I was, I was actually crying. Uh, I was so excited that I was healed. But 30 minutes after receiving that prayer and, and, and feeling that I was healed and t- being told I was healed, um, I knew that that wasn't true. The, the person misheard. Um, the person, uh, I wasn't, I, I actually was not healed from ulcerative colitis. I was, I was ex- experiencing uh, pretty bad symptoms. And that really s- took me in a spin. I was, I just started pacing back and forth outside and just pacing. I'm like, really? Uh, you know, what's going on here? I, I started, you know, people talk about how they are former atheists or former agnostics um, for, for years and they become a Christian or whatever. They, they become a follower of Yeshua. Um, for me, I could say for like 30 seconds, a minute, I'm not sure how long it was, but I, I, I was either an atheist or agnostic during that time. I thought all this isn't true. You know, if God didn't heal me. I thought I was told that he, I was healed and I wasn't. But then I stopped in my tracks because something hit me. This thought hit me and said, wait a minute. Yeshua rose from the dead. Yeshua rose from the dead. I kept saying that Yeshua rose from the dead. And I wasn't saying that because I had this feeling of Yeshua living inside of me because I was experiencing distance. I was, ex- I was experiencing doubt. I was, I was experiencing uh, feeling like betrayal. It was because I knew by, by the historical evidence that I had been studying that I had presented literally that day 
that grounded me in saying, yes, Yeshua rose from the dead. I, no matter what happens, I know that Messianic Judaism is true because my faith is true because Yeshua rose from the dead. And that really solidified me. And no matter what um, emotional doubt or emotional experience that I could come across, I knew that my foundation was the resurrection. And so from that time on, what, what I really just like resonates with me is the idea that emotions fade, facts remain, feelings change, but truth stays the same. And, that, and that's really what I, I grabbed a hold of. And, um, and yes, I, I've experienced God since then. Uh, but in that moment, what brought me back to the faith, and this is right before college, was that foundation that, of the evidence for Yeshua's resurrection. And that's what really, I had that experience going into college. So when I was in college, that set me up for success, know, knowing, that, knowing that apologetics, knowing, those, knowing that evidence. Yeah, so that's essentially the point that we want to make when it comes to sharing these stories from, from high school is that prior to college, we both had very real and intense experiences of doubts about our faith. And, but instead of, you know, going to college where, you know, that's a place where many people lose their faith because we discovered that there were answers to these questions and we found answers to these questions prior to college, we knew that going into college that if we were faced with objections from professors or objections from our peers, that there were places to go to find answers. And so that was a really, really big help when it came to how our faith survived college. And so just to kind of give it like a step-by-step -step process before we continue on uh, with our stories that, that took place while in college, um, when it comes to wanting when it comes to having your faith survive college, these are like the three steps that me and Jonathan, we would recommend. And the first step is to include studying necessary apologetics issues in your walk with the Lord. And so that means, you know, the existence of God, uh, Yeshua's claim to be God and uh, his resurrection. And then also, as I said, for, for us as Messianic Jews, Messianic Gentiles, read Acts 21 really read the entire book of Acts, it shows us where we stand as Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles. And so focus on those three issues. There's going to be things that come up that they may be interesting, but they aren't worth, you know, losing sleep over or getting too caught up in. Um, those are like the three things that you really want to stay focused on. Don't get pulled away by arguments about evolution. Don't get pulled away about arguments about the age of the universe. Uh, that is not, those are not the things that our faith stands on. It stands on the existence of God, Yeshua's, claim, Yeshua's claims to be God in his resurrection, and as a Messianic community, um, that living out a Jewish lifestyle is uh, the way that God intends for Jewish people to come to faith in him. And Acts 21 is where I really rely on that. So that's step number one, is to focus on the, the essentials. And then number two is to have tough and honest conversations with the atheists in, in your college, with the Mormons, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, with the Muslims, with Jewish people, with professors, you know, at whoever you can, you, whoever you can talk to, to explore these ideas with. And, you know, when it comes to having these tough conversations, you know, like conversations about religion can get pretty testy. And then coming up, you know, there's stuff about politics uh, always in the air nowadays. Uh, so it's really important to know how to have a tough conversation. We have a whole video on that at Two Messianic Jews. So if you go to our channel and just find the video called 12 Guidelines for Tough Conversations, we go through um, things that we have found have helped us uh, conduct these types of conversations. And then uh, number three is when you are faced with an objection 
or you even think of your own objection, um, what we would do is we would try our best to understand the objection and give it its fair shake and then seek, you know, the other perspectives to it and see, see what holds up between the objection and, and the research that, that you've done. And time and time again, we found that the evidence for God's existence, Yeshua's claims to be God and his resurrection and maintaining a Jewish identity continued to hold up. And so like doing those three things is really what I think uh, helped our faith survive college. And so if you guys are in college now or, or you're about to enter college and you're having your own doubts or you go to college and you're faced with objections and you don't know where to find the answer, please come to us, uh, message us on Instagram, Facebook, email us, put in a YouTube comment, anything. And uh, we'll at least be able to point you in the right direction as far as doing research we may even share with you our answer to the question, but we'll always give you, we will always give you resources to follow up because it's always important that you do your own research. So we'll at least give you the path forward and uh, where to explore uh, your questions. So uh, we'll continue with the stories now, but those are kind of the three points that we want to make tonight as far as having your faith survive college. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, so now I want to get into specifically, um, we Eric talked about how have conversations with atheists, with Mormons, with Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, whatever it is, find those people who you disagree with and really test out arguments, find where people are coming from. And this actually happened my first semester of college. So this is, uh, I think, in September of my, of my freshman year. Um, I'm walking on campus and I see on the ground, it's, uh, there's this chalk written out there and it said, can you be good without God's come debate? And I was like, okay. That sounds great. So when I saw that, I took a picture of it. Um, I sent it to Eric and I'm like, hey man, you know, we've been studying some apologetics, you know, leading up to this, you know, we're here in college. Let's, let's go to this event. It's being hosted by the Atheist United Club on campus. And I was, I was, I was really pumped for it. I was nervous, but I, I was excited. And so I went there. Um, I, did, I did my homework. I did, you know, my research on the subject, looking at a lot of it. Um, the research came from the work of Dr. William Lane Craig, who's, who has uh, published work on this issue and lectures on this issue on can you be good without God. And so I went to the event and pretty much we were, the only, we were some of the only believers in the room. There were a couple of Christians there, but Eric and I, it was pretty much just a room uh, with everyone's chair on the wall with uh, mostly atheists from the, from the organization and outside. And one of the interesting things that happened there was uh, someone asked the question of how the atheists in the room became atheists. And I found out that a lot of people there were, were Christians. They were Christians, but they all lost their faith, or like most of them, yeah. Yeah, th these atheists lost their faith, at least those who were Christians, and, you know, be became atheists. And one example I heard was basically, it was kind of a repeated theme of this, where they were in church, they had these objections, they had these questions that they were hearing from others, and they were asking themselves, and the person told them to stop questioning, but just have faith. And that's... That's, that turned them off from, from faith in Yeshua. It, it convinced them that there wasn't really any good reasons to believe, and they eventually became atheists. Uh, there, there's, other, there's other stories um, that I could say from there, but yeah, that was, that was one of the main themes I saw. And so we're going in this event, and I'm, I'm asking, I'm I want to bring up a point. Um, it was kind of a Socratic debate type style. You raise your hand, you make a point. So I raised my hand, and I said, okay, so on atheism, right, we're all, human beings are animals, right? We're all animals. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're all animals. Everyone pretty much agreed, I saw. And I said, okay, so there are some animals in the animal kingdom that will eat their young, specifically the lion. 
So in a certain situation, um, a lion will eat uh, the, the young cubs in the pack, um, in, in the pride, and that, they'll do that for survival purposes, right? They'll, they'll eat their young, what we would call infanticide. So I asked the question, you know, so we're all animals, you already said that, right? So I said, why do we call what the lion does nature, but what Hitler does murder? Why do we call the lion just, you know, animal life, but Hitler did genocide? You know, why, why are we making these moral distinctions? It's basically eugenics, eugenics is what I said. And I said, if you make these distinctions um, where you're putting morality on humans, but not other animals, then you're being specious, you're being biased towards your own species. So why is there this inconsistency? And the room got really quiet, pretty much just like dead silence, kind of awkward. But uh, one person said, it's okay to be specious. I forget the reason he said it, it, it didn't really seem to resonate with other people, but it was just, you know, a moment where they were just starting to question. Uh, question that. So the purpose, the why I did that was I said, yeah, you could be good without believing in God. You know, you can be, do good things, right? You can be a moral person, but if God doesn't exist, then there's no foundation for objective morality. Independent of human belief, there's no foundation to know whether something is right or wrong, good or evil. So if you want to say Hitler did was objectively wrong and evil, then you need to have God's existence in the picture. And that's, that's the point I wanted to make there. And so as a result, um, the event, the, the vice president who hosted the debate, or the, 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 the Socratic debate thing, he quit the group. Then there was this, uh, there was this um, drama within the group where I was accused of bringing, something off, bringing up something that was off topic. And that made the president really upset because the idea was I brought up the Holocaust. So I was brought into the student life office and the president's saying, this guy's a messianic Jew. And they're saying they're being anti-Semitic. It was kind of crazy. But as a result of this, I became friends with uh, some of the members of the atheist group. They joined the apologetics group on, on campus, or not joined, at least they, one, one of them joined, but they, they, they went to our meetings. And what was really cool is that the president of, of, the, of the club, he called me. Um, he called me because he was going, this is after a number of, probably a year of just kind of like going back and forth, having conversations, debates, and, you know, because they would host open debates like this frequently. And so he called me and I was really shocked what he asked me. He said, Jonathan, can you pray for me? I was like, oh, sure, sure. He was about to participate in a, in a political debate and he was feeling really nervous and he, you know, he was really nervous about it. And he asked me for prayer. And I was like, sure. I prayed for him. I, you know, I, you know, God give him strength and guidance and his preparation and, um, you know, like take the fear out for, from him, Lord, just please help him. And I, I forget exactly what I said, but I was, I was praying for an atheist who asked prayer for me, even though he says he doesn't believe that God exists. And he said, okay, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah. Now can you, now can you tell Eric to, to call me so he could pray for me too? And so I called Eric and yeah, Eric, you can go from here. Say what happened. Yeah. So at this point I'm in the middle of my English 1101 class <laughs> and I'm, actually looking at my phone my phone's on silent but i'm looking at it for whatever reason i see this uh call or the text from jonathan saying hey Brian's about to call you i was like okay that's a little scary he's kind of a intimidating dude for a couple reasons um but then i see call i just step out of my classroom and i hear him kind of you know with a lot of uh urgency ask me to pray for him in the event that he's taking part in uh later that week or later that day and so I was just kind of taken aback, but yeah, I, I prayed for him on the phone and, uh, later on at the event, uh, he was really appreciative. Um, it was kind of a crazy situation because at the event that Jonathan was talking about, can you be good without God? This would have been the last guy I would have expected to, uh, do something like that, call us to, to ask for prayer. 
uh, but he did. And so uh, praise the Lord for that. And so, yeah, so as Jonathan was saying, uh, we became uh, friends, uh, conversation partners with uh, a few of these members in Atheist United. Uh, they later changed their names to Atheist Humanists and Agnostics. And uh, we were also participating in an apologetics club at KSU at the time. And so we would have weekly debates, you know, both in uh, Atheist United and in uh, the apologetics club just all the time, just for hours on end. Uh, we would talk about the problem of evil. We would talk about the reliability of the gospels and the evidence for the resurrection, the possibility of miracles. And we would just, we would just talk and talk and talk. And uh, there's this one time where this is actually outside of one of our weekly meetings. It was me, Jonathan, a friend of ours, Cody. And I think there was two people from uh, Atheist United. And we met up with them outside of class, outside of the meetings. And we were talking about, I think it was the reliability of the gospels. And part of that conversation that uh, very often comes up is you'll hear the objection. I think this is what we were talking about is that uh, the distance between uh, the authors of the Gospels hearing the sermons and, you know, being at the events that uh, they participated in. So let's just take Matthew, for example. Uh, like the distance between him writing the Gospel, you know, probably like 30 years after he hears the Sermon on the Mount, you know, what are the odds that he's actually remembering all of those words in, in the sermon? And part of the answer of that, there's a there's a few different things that go into that, that go into that. But part of the answer is that back then in the first century, uh, people had incredible memories. Their minds did not work the the same way that ours do today when we have all this technology to rely on and, and be our memories for us. So back then, people had incredible memories. And one of the members of Atheist United is like, oh, I don't buy it. There's no way that people are remembering, you know, these sermons that last, you know, four or five pages in the Bible. And then our friend Cody, he goes, oh, yeah, well, I've I am able to recite every word to the original trilogy of Star Wars. And after Cody said that, uh, this guy from Atheist United, he literally uh, froze. And I was sitting next to him. And after like an awkward couple of seconds, I see like some sweat like coming down his forehead. So we like kind of quickly transitioned to to ease the tension. Um, but that was just like another moment where, uh, pretty much when you're prepared and you also happen to have a genius friend with you, who's able to memorize entire movie scripts, um, you're able to really make an impact and get other people to, to think about reconsidering, you know, the doubts that they had. He was another one of those people. He wasn't at the original meeting, but hearing his story, he was another person who grew up, um, in the church and had doubts and they went unanswered. So um, very oftentimes when you're able to do the research, you're able to cause people to doubt their doubts, which is pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And um, so from there, uh, after that first year, um, I became president, Eric became vice president of the apologetics club on campus. And uh, I just had this thought, I was like, you know, we, we can actually make use of the funds that the university is willing to offer organizations if they can go and present a reason why university the student uh, funds should uh, be used for their event then they'll do it so uh, yeah that's what Eric and I did we would show up and and present and make a case for uh, events we wanted to host and it was pretty awesome so just to list some events we hosted uh, Dr. Michael Lacona a leading expert on the evidence for the resurrection of Yeshua 
Uh, he gave a, a lecture on that. We had uh, Dr. William Lane Craig come and he gave an, a lecture on evidence for God. Uh, we had uh, Dr. Richard Carrier and Dr. Craig Evans come. They did a, a public debate on did Jesus exist, that's what we called it. Uh, we did does God exist with Dr. David Wood and Dr. Michael Shermer. We had Dr. Michael Brown and Rabbi Daniel Freitag, a local Orthodox rabbi debate, is Jesus the Jewish Messiah? Uh, Mike Lacona and Dr. Bart Ehrman debated, are the Gospels historically reliable? Who is the historical Jesus with Dr. Lacona and Dr. John Dominic Crossan? So we had like a lot of really awesome events um, that we host on campus. And the purpose wasn't just to the event itself. So, so like that, that, of course, that's the purpose for the people to see both sides of an issue and, and come to conclusions or, or let them question where they came, where they were coming from to begin with, to strengthen the faith of those uh, followers of Yeshua. But it was also because we would weekly, we would like, we spent so much time um, tabling, which basically have a table that we would set up with a poster of the event with both speakers, both whether they're an atheist and a theist or a Christian and atheist, or just two scholars who are opposed to each other on an issue. Um, we would put the, that poster up, we would hand out flyers, and we would have a board that just asked the question, you know, uh, is Jesus the Jewish Messiah, or does God exist? And it was awesome, because people were able to see that there's also another side to the story. There's another side to an issue that they thought really had the answer, quick and done, you know? Uh, does God exist? Well, they may hear in their philosophy class that, no, there's no evidence for it. We, we're, we're past that. Nietzsche told us that God is dead, right? But no, we were able to see and present arguments and evidences to people who would come and talk to us. And uh, yeah, we, we can go on with stories about those conversations. But um, yeah, that, that basically, the idea here is that we were making, we were, we, what we wanted to show is that those people who engaged with us in conversation, who at least heard about the event, know that faith in Yeshua is an intellectually viable option. You know, you can be rational and believe the things the Bible teaches. And I think that was hugely successful, especially based on just the individual conversations I would have, Eric would have, but we mentioned Cody, he would come with us. Um, yeah, so it was, it was, it was a great time um, during that time. And yeah, so from there, and we wouldn't just do the, put on these debates. Um, I took, I think it was my freshman year, I took a class on, on religious studies. And I don't know if anyone's seen the movie, God's Not Dead right, where the, there's, there's a kid who's his freshman year in philosophy class, he debates his professor. Um, he went up in front of the class and made his case against his professor. Now, that, nothing happened like that for me, no. But, but my professor was very, um, at least the way he would present himself in class, was very much throwing and presenting objections to faith in, faith in God, faith, um, and faith in the Bible, things like that. And so, weekly i would because i studied some apologetics not not saying i was no expert at all you know i'm, I'm studying apologetics as i go um responding to objections as they come from the atheists i'm talking to but my professor an atheist um he would throw an objection he said something like um who created god right who created god that's that's a knockdown objection and i would raise my hand and say you know well that's just that's a misunderstanding of the first premise of the Kalam cosmological argument. It says everything that begins to exist has a cause. God never had a beginning, so the question is meaningless. And I went more into this, but um, basically the students were able to see that, uh, my, my fellow students, my classmates were able to see that there's another side. And we would go constantly back and forth in this class. It was great. Um, on the problem of evil, one time he even said, 
um, why don't you just give it up? You know, he brought up the problem of evil. He says, why don't you just give it up? You can't solve it. You know, why don't you just give it faith? And so I really pressed him and I raised my hand. I would respond to the objections the best I could. But um, yeah, there, I mean, this happened in other, other classes too, where I would engage with professors as an undergraduate. Um, but yeah, I think Eric, you had another situation with that, with that same professor. So yeah, if you want to go ahead and do that one. Oh yeah. So with that professor, Jonathan actually took him a semester before I took him. So by the time I took that class, Jonathan, he knew all the points that this professor was going to make. So I would just tell Jonathan like, oh, this next class we're going to talk about Islam or this next class we're going to talk about problem of evil. What's, what's he going to say? And Jonathan would fill me in. He'd show me where to find the answers. And so like each class, he would hear kind of the, the same thing the second time. And it didn't take him too long before he caught on that uh, I was friends with Jonathan. But it was so fantastic uh, hearing the response from my fellow classmates um, about my willingness to uh, respond to the, the professor. I would get emails after class. I'd get people coming up to me after class saying, thank you so much for your input. I never really thought about it that way. Or man, what he said really bothered me. But when you, uh, I think the point that you made is actually stronger than the point that he made. And so that was just really encouraging um, that other people were noticing that, you know, the things that I was saying was actually making more sense than what he was saying. So this isn't just like in my own mind kind of thing. And um, actually, to be honest, the professor uh, that me and Jonathan are talking about, he really liked both of us. He really enjoyed the fact that we were willing to raise our hands and challenge him and interact um, during class and just cause some interesting, interesting conversation. So it's not always, you know, your, your grade isn't always in detriment um, by speaking up. And a similar example of that, even in my world history class, you know, which isn't, it wasn't religious studies, um, in my world history class, and he's going over, it was ancient world history. So, you know, from the beginning of civilization up until like, I don't know, the medieval age or something like that. And he had like this one slide on Yeshua. And the one slide on Yeshua was saying that he was a copycat of pagan myths. And that, you know, he has all these similarities with, you know, Mithras and Dionysus and all this stuff like that. And that's a really common objection that you'll hear. And that's something uh, Jonathan will go more in depth later on, I think. Um, but essentially, I was able to just raise my hand and ask him, you know, where are your sources for, you know, Dionysus and Mithras, you know, that are so clearly paralleled with, with Yeshua. And unsurprisingly to me, because I knew this to be the case, uh, he said, oh, actually, I don't know uh, the sources. That's a good question. I'll have to get back with you on that. And of course, he never got back with me on that because the sources showing those parallels don't really exist. And so it's just like a really popular thing you see on the internet. And so again, it's just like, it's important to read scholars because they're professionally trained and especially the ones who specialize in the topics of biblical studies and history. But even those professors and especially the ones that, you know, don't specialize in those areas, they can still come to wrong conclusions. Your professor is not always right, especially because oftentimes, like my world history professor, he isn't actually an expert in the field of biblical studies. So always do research when you hear an, an, an objection. Um, especially from those professors and even from if you're taking a biblical studies class where you know their specialty is the Bible or its history or its philosophy even they can still be wrong 
So always be ready to uh, do your research and don't be afraid to, to speak up because you never know who, who you will impact when you do so. Yep, that's right. And um, we talked a lot about here about responses to atheist objections. We could go on with stories about our engaging with Mormons on campus, but you know, we're here at a, at a messianic event. I want to talk about how we've engaged uh, with, uh, with, with Jewish people. And this, is really, this was really big for me um, because, you know, it's one thing to talk about evidence for God's existence, but, you know, Yeshua's messiahship, um, objections to the resurrection from uh, Orthodox rabbis and counter missionaries. I'm curious what they would say. And so when I go to Messiah Conference, I think I started this in 2016, where I would make it my goal to spend as much time as I could, you know, it, I balanced it a little bit, but I, I would spend a, a good amount of hours going down to the Jews for Judaism tent that is at the entrance to Messiah College. So there's this organization called Jews for Judaism. And every year for the past, I think it was like 40 years, I believe, um, they would come to the same spot at the entrance to Messiah College and, uh, and wave people in to talk to them about why they should not believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. That was their goal for them to leave Messianic Judaism. And so I'd be like, these are perfect people to really uh, see what their objections are and to see how the reasons I have for why I believe Yeshua is the Messiah, the, um, the reason I have to believe in Yeshua, do those really stand up to the toughest scrutiny, to people who are, you know, make it their goal to do this. And so I did that. I would go down there with Eric. And I remember one time we were down there um, speaking of um, mythicism, right? The idea that Yeshua never existed. This was their big thing. This was what they emphasized, right? Um, the, the guy who was doing it, he used, he used to be um, a director of, of Jews for Judaism. And so he would present this argument to me. He would say, you know, Yeshua is a copycat of dying and rising pagan gods. And so because we see these parallels in these ancient um, pagan deities, then we should say Yeshua never existed. What I said was this, Rabbi Akiva um, and Yeshua have a lot of similarities. Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, they're both called Rabbi. They're both the son of Joseph. They're both, they both call God their heavenly father. Uh, Akiva had 12,000 pairs of disciples and Yeshua had 12 disciples. Both of them taught in parables. Uh, one, both of them said that loving your neighbor as yourself is a great principle in the Torah. Both of them encounter Moses. Both of them are arrested and imprisoned by Rome. Both of them are executed by the Romans, and no one has found the corpse uh, of either Akiva or Yeshua. We have all these parallels. So your argument is that Yeshua is a copycat of pagan deities. So then by that logic, because there's these similarities, so then by that logic, Yeshua is a copycat of pagan deities, and Rabbi Akiva is a copycat of Yeshua, who is a copycat of pagan deities. I hope you follow me there. And I basically just said, you know, this doesn't work. And he kind of saw it there. He kind of saw that it doesn't work. So I said, what evidence there is that, you, that Yeshua never existed? What's the evidence for your position? And this is what he told me. He said, I have no evidence for my position. I, I, that's a quote. I, I just was shocked when I heard it. And I was like, wow, um, that says a lot. Uh, it says a lot for him personally to be able to say that. But it also says a lot of just like the kind of objections I'm dealing with. Um, I would go and talk about my evidence for why I think Yeshua is the Messiah, my arguments. Um, and I'm sure Eric could testify to this like, it was really cool to just see like where the conversations would go and just to see how it stacked up. Every time I walked from those conversations, um, I, one, I remember one time I did have more questions and answers, but since then, even, even past that, I would go out of these conversations with just this huge burst of joy because I was like, wow, my faith really does stand against the toughest scrutiny. The people who devote their lives to this, it really does stand the test. And 
we would go on, we would have conversations with um, some uh, Orthodox rabbis or Orthodox rabbi in New York, a counter missionary. We had conversations with, with Rabbi Daniel Freitag, who debated Dr. Brown. Great conversations. Um, just like a, n a number of just uh, rabbis and counter missionaries just kind of testing out arguments. It just, it's just been great. Um, and it just really shows the strength, I think, of um, our faith in Yeshua. Yeah, so that is how our faith uh, not only survived college, but grew and was strengthened while, while we were in college. And just to reiterate the points that we made earlier, I think the reason why that was the case for us is because uh, we first included uh, studying necessary apologetics issues in our walk with the Lord. And then we had those tough, honest conversations with a bunch of different backgrounds of people who don't agree with us and we'd honestly consider what they had to say and we'd engage with them, whether they were students or professors. And oftentimes those resulted in, you know, really good relationships uh, with those people. And then three, related to the second one is that when you are faced with an objection or you think of a question yourself and you uh, don't have the answer, go back, honestly evaluate it, do the research and see what you find. You'll be uh, really, I was really surprised at how often I would find really strong answers to the questions I had or the questions that I heard. I just want to list some of the resources that have really helped both Jonathan and I uh, all throughout uh, the journey that we've been on. And uh, just for a couple of books, we would recommend On Guard by William Lane Craig. There's a student edition for that one as well. And then Case for the Resurrection, which is, or Case for the Resurrection of Jesus, which is by Gary Habermas and Mike Lacona. And then The Real Kosher Jesus by Michael Brown. And then Introduction to Messianic Judaism by Dr. David Rudolph and Dr. Joel Willits. And then there's a few kind of a lot of different YouTube channels that we would frequent. And those YouTube channels are David Wood, Mike Winger, Michael Brown, Inspiring Philosophy, Capturing Christianity, What Do You Meme? And if you guys would like, uh, please also subscribe in addition to them to, to Messianic Jews. Um, really, at the end of the day, we want to serve you guys. We want to serve the Messianic movement and um, really help build up your faith and strengthen your faith and help your faith survive college or wherever you are. And so ask us questions, whether it's on YouTube, on Instagram, and yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. And uh, thank you again for coming out. Thanks for taking the time to hear our story and stick to the end. At this point, we hope and pray we can be an encouraging part of your story and help you explore tough questions that may not have many Messianic Jewish resources to address. If you enjoy this content and would like to hear more, please subscribe. We love to hear from you, and you can email us at 2 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.